Impact of Influence, the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths that they are linked to. Hello, friend. Glad you're here. My name is Matt Harris. Seton Tucker is here as well. And we recorded an episode on the 30th. We're recording this on the 31st because news came out after we had done the episode uh, with the island packet with the headline, Private Investigator Recorded Video of Paul Murdoch Days Before Murders. And we're going to get into that. They want to reach out to us, Seton. You can reach us on Facebook at Murdoch Podcast or on our website, which is MurdochPodcast.com. And so we got a hold of the March 16th hearing transcript, and the issue at hand is basically whether info gathered by third-party private investigators employed by the law firm representing Parker's CEO should be subject to release, in a nutshell. But there's so many other interesting things, I believe, in this and things that are very legally, and that's why they're in front of a judge, and that's why we have our legal analysts with us. Well, I think we need to point out first, the reason these subpoenas were being sent out was Tinsley, who is the attorney for the Beach family, says that there was this campaign to kind of harass them and there were some leaked documents. So that's why it's it's kind of a separate issue from the voting accident. It's a civil conspiracy. John Snyder's here, former district attorney and former prosecutor. And John, I know you've gone over this and let's start with, and we'll kind of go in order of the pages and see what happens with that. Tinsley spoke in front of the court and he says, we filed a civil conspiracy outrage case. What is that, John Snyder? Okay, so what we have right here is very similar to what we saw with the criminal cases where you had the initial allegations um, against Alec, and then suddenly new things began to pop up. And so in this matter, you had the original lawsuit of the Beach family at all against Parker's, uh, Maggie, Buster, Paul, Alec, you know, all the different defendants. Mm -hmm. And stemming from that lawsuit, a new lawsuit has been filed by the family specifically against Parker's separately from anything related to the boating accident and related primarily to uh, being the subject of an, an investigation, having private investigators be hired, having PR firms be hired. And so this is a brand new lawsuit completely unrelated to the boating accident and solely related to the conduct of the parties and how they were litigating during that case that's still pending. So what is a civil conspiracy, like in a sentence, what does that mean? There's an agreement between two people to do something bad is the easiest way to okay. define the conspiracy. Right. Let me read this paragraph. This specifically alleges, among other things, that Greg Parker, the Parker's entity, which is doing business as Parker's Corporation, and a bunch of people they list there, Mr. Parker's general counsel, they have some names, and a lawyer, and two PIs, Max and Henry, and their company, Private Investigation Services, conspired to inflict severe emotional distress 
and waged a campaign of emotional warfare against the plaintiff in the boat crash wrongful death case. So that is how it's presented there. So what is uh, severe emotional distress? What legally constitutes that? Severe emotional distress would be defined as outrageous conduct that is intentionally engaged upon to cause the plaintiff physical or mental anguish. And you have to prove that through medical records, through psychologist reports, just on the damages side. Okay, so you would have to prove that you did have, you suffered in some way, you would have to have some sort of proof of that? You'd have to have actual damages that as a result of finding out there was a private investigator, you had to seek mental health and seek counsel or you developed, you know, bleeding ulcer or something like that. Tinsley goes on and he says that, uh, he says, they, they, I'm paraphrasing, they say that I made up this term, social media knife fighter. And then he goes on to say, but Wes Donahue, who is a political consultant on his website, says he is, in fact, a social media knife fighter. Yeah, I did go to it. It does say that on his website. Social media knife fighter. It does. They employed these political firms, Tinsley goes on to say, to that often engage, according to their website, in crisis management for companies and driving down the leftist pundit, which I assume that's me. So he's making a little uh, crack uh, about that and some of the things that have been said in papers. Uh, one of the things is we allege that the lawyer, along with Mr. Parker, engaged in fraudulent conduct to obtain, among other things, the mediation presentation video that was part of the boat crash. And he goes on to say, rule A, confidentiality. You know, in, in a layman's term, what does that mean? Confidentiality, which means the lawyers hired the investigators and the lawyers hired the PR firm to engage in lawyer-directed activity, which would be subject to the attorney-client privilege. Okay. And the attorney privilege of work product. Well, before we move on to, I want to ask, what is what, what defines work product? Work product is something that the, the lawyer puts together in the preparation of her or his case that is his thoughts, his recollections, or areas that he or she wants to explore. So... If I've been hired by somebody that's been accused of bad things, I would hire an investigator to go find out, is my client bad or is the person that's accusing him of being bad, bad? And so it is a, it is a very normal and standard thing for lawyers involved in both civil and criminal litigation to engage private investigators to confirm details. You know, we, we see this jokingly in, in movies where the guy claims he was never, you know, has to be in a wheelchair and there's video of him at spring break, high five in each people. Right. If you're, if you're making claims of awful, horrible injury and how awful or horrible somebody is, it's fair game for the opposing counsel to go find out whether that's true or whether it's true about you. They talk about uh, the pictures, the photographs of Mallory's uh, unfortunately dead body, which were released. And what I found interesting, there were, uh, Tinsley says there's different agencies involved 
And so there's a lot of photos out there. Photos were taken from different perspectives, different gloves. And that's how they figured out that the photographs that showed up, he believes were from Parker because uh, they were photographs taken from Buford County Sheriff's Department videos and photographs. I found that kind of uh, interesting that there might be other, all these different agencies took pictures. Let me kind of clarify with everybody what this is. So there was a mediation somewhere along the way in the boating accident case. And plaintiff counsel Tinsley and and Bland and others put together a presentation for the mediation. And in, in high stakes mediation and litigation, this is very common, where the plaintiff's attorney basically puts together a, a video, puts together a presentation that allows the, the mediator and even the other parties to see you know, how strong a case they have and and what it might look like if their case was presented to a jury. And so what was released to Vicki Ward was the content of that presentation. That is not that uh, what happens in mediation is completely confidential and is, is, is supposed to be confidential and neither side is supposed to be walking out of there releasing things related to the mediation. It's, it's, it's almost like you suspend uh, the rules of reality and you guys discuss any kind of possibility that might happen. So if, if, the, if somebody says, well, even if I did do it, you would only get $100. Okay, that statement couldn't be used in a court right. against the, the person making that statement. And so this is highly unusual that this material was released. So before we get to Vicki Ward, I want to mention what Tinsley says. He got a call from a Dateline producer. And the Dateline producer said that there were two PIs, Max and Henry, and that they obtained Sandy Smith's iPad and destroyed it. I thought that that was crazy. I'm not sure exactly how they got to Sandy Smith or why they would destroy her iPad. Right. And what does that have to do with the whole story? And why would they destroy it? If it was the idea would be you would think, to make Parker's look good and the boating kids not look good. That's the goal. Right. What was on that iPad, if this is true, that wouldn't have worked to their advantage? That's a big question, but no one, I didn't see that in the paper. That is a big question, and I think we need to talk about, you know, we can get into it in a little bit, about why Stephen Smith what yeah. is even pertinent to the boating accident when he was not a passenger, he wasn't involved in the boating accident in any way. For those who don't remember, Stephen Smith... Killed in a, was ruled a hit and run, but very controversial. Then they go on to talk about, uh, the Dateline producer says, hey, there's this woman, Vicki Ward, she's from New York, and she purchased the beach file. He's like, what the, you know, he says he's confused, he doesn't know what's going on, and says that Vicki tells him, Vicki Ward tells him that she got the documents from a law firm, and he's trying to figure out why this happened. And he also says that, According to Tinsley, Vicki Ward says, among other things, Parker has an agenda. He says, Vicki Ward said, according to Tinsley, they're dirty and they're slimy. I don't have anything to do with them other than I bought their documents. That is pretty. 
That's interesting, right? That's crazy. Salacious. I mean, she denied. I think she's d- denied publicly that she has bought the documents. Right. But this is what Tinsley says. And then we go on. Uh, oh, and he asked her to be. She had asked him, according to Tinsley, to be in a sizzle reel for a upcoming documentary that was going to be on the Discovery Channel. Sizzle reel is like a trailer. The trailer, and he was going to be. You know, he, he declined to be on it, but she had asked him. And then it goes further on, and Tinsley says he talked to a Miss Sen, and according to Tinsley, Miss Sen says to him, you really want the, the PI who was doing the work, because Mr. Parker wanted three things. He wanted video of per- Paul Murdoch drinking, partying, and talking about killing that girl, and I assume that's Mallory Beach, he says. And he wanted to prove that Muster- Buster Murdoch was gay, and so they hired Sarah Capelli, and I'll get to her in a moment. But I'm going to pause there for a second and see, uh, uh, John, anything in there jump out at you about that? Well, one, there aren't affidavits in the court file consistent with any of what Tinsley's saying. So. uh, What do you mean by that? There's nothing in the. Like, so so Tinsley's getting up and, and recounting things that he's being told, but then like. Vicky Ward says the opposite of, you know, so Tinsley says, Vicky said, I got this file from Parker's law firm. And then when you ask Ward about it, she says, I didn't, that's not where I got it. And and then I think Sands, she is not, I think she's the attorney for the private investigator. So why would it even be pertinent to this case if they, I mean, would it be relevant to a civil suit if Paul was, you know, out drinking after the accident or, um, absolutely it would. Okay. And why is that? that? I, I mean, because going back to the, our discussion yesterday with the defense, the, the amended defense answer, which says there were like a thousand intervening causes between Paul buying a 12 pack of beer and a 12 pack of white claw to the eventual death. Yeah. In other words, they could say, look, he gets alcohol all the time. Doesn't matter if he got it at Parker's or he got it wherever. Well, what about the question of sexuality? I mean, how is that relevant? I don't know. I don't, I don't see where that's relevant in any way. Buster doesn't have anything to testify to at the hearing. He's a defendant. He's he's a defendant because Paul was using his ID. Right. That's going to be resolved pretty quickly in discovery over whether he actually gave it to Paul, whether Paul took it from him, whether Paul went and, you know, took Buster's birth certificate and something else and, and went down to DMV and got his own license. You know, all of, all of that will come out through the discovery process. And I got to say, I, I feel icky, gross, kind of even bringing up that they were trying to prove that Buster Murdoch was gay. Because I, I don't, but well, it's in here to talk about any, it. But I feel, I feel terrible even throwing Yeah, that, it that doesn't seem relevant to this. Well, and it even feel, it doesn't seem right to talk about it either. I agree. But here's, here's, here's the other thing though. There isn't any evidence in the record yet or depositions that have occurred or material that's been provided to Tinsley to say that's what Parker was trying to do 
And I, in, in this particular thing on this particular motion, I think it was improper for him to bring that up or make that allegation. You know, he doesn't need to have that on the record at this point. It doesn't need to be on the record. It's not like it, it'll, if that's what they were seeking to be done, a deposition will show that. A, oh, I got you. The text messages will show that. Email will show that. But for Tinsley to get up into court and and make that argument without any evidence, I I thought was odd, and and, and is kind of like they're accusing a Parker is trying to smear his clients, and he's kind of smearing Parker. At the same time, it doesn't it, it doesn't make sense because if what he believes is true, the evidence will be clear and convincing and he'll he'll have his day in court. That's the, the whole thing about this splinter lawsuit is Parker's lawyer makes this argument, which is to say, hey, this is an attempt for them to try to get money that wasn't being offered to them. In mediation in the in the in the lawsuit related to the wrongful death. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in, and you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. It's instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories, you participate in dialogues, so you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app out there. They've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now, and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. Oh, yeah, I have a question but along those lines is, in this kind of hearing, this is going to be public. There's posturing. There's things that people want to get out because it doesn't fall under the same rules as the actual trial, right? So is that is there is there posturing? Is there rumors that there, what's going there's on? There's definite there's definite bluster. I will say I read I read the entire 46 page transcript of the hearing. Tinsley is a good lawyer and and did a very good job in presenting his case and I think probably did a better job than Parker's lawyers did in response. It's clear that he was well prepared. It was clear that he knew exactly what he was going to talk about in there. So from a lawyering standpoint, he did a good job. I do think he postured a little bit getting into anything related to Buster and his personal life. He's trying to win a, a motion, and so you, you get into the heat of the argument, and, and so you, you argue it. I thought the defense was a little dismissive of his arguments more than they should have been. I can see why the judge actually 
ruled the way that they did, which was, I don't think this is attorney-client privilege. You know, I don't think this falls under the privilege, and therefore investigators, PR firms respond to these subpoenas. It's interesting in here that they go on to talk about how they hired uh, an investigator, Sarah Capelli, and yep. she, has, she has her own private investigation firm called Inquiry. He, he goes on to say that when he ended up talking to her and she reached out to him, Tinsley. Facebook friended. Facebook friended, yeah. And Tinsley said she had the most extreme case of diarrhea of the mouth of any person I've ever talked to. <laughs> wow. Doesn't sound like someone you'd want to hire as your investigator if they're going to spill but, everything. Yeah. But they also mentioned they do a filed uh, the rule to show cause. Is that easily explainable or is that really in the weeds legally? Yeah, no. A rule to show cause is, is, is basically... Hey, court, you've said that something needs to happen, and these people aren't doing it. That's okay. what that, okay. that, that means. On page 12, they get back to Buster Murdoch being gay again. He says their intent was to paint a picture that because Buster was gay, he must have been involved in the murder of Stephen Smith. And because they had this narrative, they were pushing out that the Murdochs were terrible people, that a jury would say, it's all the Murdochs. I guess the jury would blame it on the Murdochs and not on the Parkers when they went to trial. Is that what he was trying to get? I find it fascinating that Tinsley is unintentionally defending the honor of the very family that he's suing. There's no question, and anybody that's involved in litigation knows, you want to know who the parties are, and you want to know who the witnesses are. And so it, it would make sense for Parkers to want to paint the picture of the Murdoch's as just awful, awful human beings from Beginning to end. That is ironic that he is uh, saying uh, now defending they're them. trying to de- they're trying to smear their name and but how how dare they how dare they say ugly things about the people I say ugly things about right with was... regularity who 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 has the gumption to do that right before I pass judgment either way I'd want to see what these people say under oath not what a lawyer argues oh good point ab- about what they said. It, it's it's in his interest to argue these these unrecorded statements in the light most favorable favorable to what he's trying to accomplish, and I and I would I would want to just hold judgment on what he's saying and what he's saying they did until they were under oath or in front of a judge testifying. Seeing we can mention a little bit about that about uh, Capelli and the alcohol. Oh, yeah. So she, I guess she purchased some alcohol. Allegedly, this is what Tinsley says, purchased some alcohol for some underage people in Columbia in order to get information about Paul Murdoch. And so Tinsley is seeking to get information from Parker's to see if she was reimbursed for this actions. But would that be enough to kind of constitute crime? No, there's no way in God's green earth that Parker's is instructing someone to go out and violate a criminal statute, a statute by which they're being sued in a civil lawsuit. <laughs> right. That doesn't pass the smell test on Parker's ordering that that be done or, or asking that it be done or being a part of the decision on the front end. We've seen a lot of crazy stuff, so really anything is possible. That's true. That's a great point. We have seen crazy, and so... Yeah, we we may see more crazy, and then we get to what was one of the big splashes. Yeah, of, this is the biggest, stuff did, the biggest the news. Yes, so it's been revealed that there was video of Paul Murdoch within three days of his murder 
And Tinsley was told that these videos have been turned over to SLED. They've also turned over photographs and all of the surveillance. In addition to the surveillance, they also had a camera that was placed at the driveway of Moselle. So there was some video there. And he says, we've been asked for those. So it looks like there was potentially some video. We, we don't know what's on there, but some video has been turned over to SLED that could potentially aid in the investigation of Maggie and Paul's death. And what they don't say, though, is when exactly it was turned over. They don't say when, and they or don't say, you know, we what don't... Was on it. What was on it. We don't know if this was a trail cam placed across the street. Obviously, if you had a camera pointed at your house that you could see, you might be a little bit suspicious of that. And so, there were two entrances, as we know, to there were two, Yeah, there were two entrances. So we don't know which entrance it was placed at. We don't know if it was a trail cam. We don't know if it was censored, you know, if it was 24 hours or it was censored by movement. And you would think, though, there was something major on there, even if they, you know, it would have been acted on. Find it hard to believe a private investigator would not have turned it over soon after the murders. I, I, that, that is a hard one for me to well, believe. The judge asked, did anyone confirm there was a camera placed at the entrance of Moselle? And Tinsley responds, the AG office has confirmed that SLED had received some video that was taken by Ms. Capelli. Again, we still don't know for sure. I mean, I think it's slightly unclear. We don't know what was on the video, and we don't know uh-huh. if that, that that video camera was actually in place the night that Maggie and Paul were murdered. Mm-hmm. But if it is, that's that's huge, and you would think that it could really aid in the investigation. It, it would, but it does. But going back to the original, the lawsuit under which this information is being sought, it wouldn't be related that the, the presence of a camera at the entrance to the house, if it was in conformity with the law of South Carolina wouldn't negatively affect the the Beach family except to say Paul was still out there raging and having, you know, he he wasn't changing his lifestyle at all. And his lifestyle was consistent with somebody that was drinking. Paul just never cared what the rules were. So I don't see where that would create emotional damage to the plaintiffs in this particular matter. I mean, I I would think you'd want it turned over just because it might have clues to a Murders, but not because of this particular lawsuit. And and the people that the people that need that information. So as a, as the public, we didn't know this information existed, and that is, I think, very newsworthy and will be something to to that, that may be the basis of how they solve these murders. But in the meantime, that material is with the appropriate people to handle the material, which is law enforcement. One of the things that the Parker's attorneys say, that the subpoenas are overly broad, overly burdensome, and if she had to produce or they had to produce all these documents and text messages and everything else, it would have to be redacted and that would cost a bunch of money. And she says, I don't know if Mr. Tinsley's willing to undertake that cost. Would that be the cost of the person who is requesting the information? No, again, that's lawyers... Lawyers being lawyers, that's bluster. Tinsley did a much better job in articulating, uh, whether you agree with him or not, uh, in articulating the basis for his motion and request. I thought that the defense lawyers in this this particular hearing kind of resorted back to standard defense lawyer lines like, well, this is going to be too hard or they adopted this kind of standard obstruct and delay approach to discovery and evidence gathering. 
Uh, one of the things that's interesting that he brought up, and I didn't realize it at the time why, but Tinsley says these cases, Corey Fleming was indicted on 18 counts yesterday. I understand he's been arrested and that will be arraigned this afternoon. Why is that interesting he brought that name up? See, you I guess because Corey Fleming, the defense attorney, one of the defense attorneys represents Corey Fleming. So it's like a little like passive aggressive shot there. It also shows you how small our state is. The fact that that two lawyers are involved in different cases involving this, that, that's the same lawyer. And one of them's even a, a municipal judge somewhere. And she, he goes on to say, there's one thing this case has shown us is that lawyers can do bad things. And just because you're a lawyer, you're not cloaked with immunity that they would like a lawyer to be cloaked with when they're violating the rules of conduct, et cetera, et cetera. That sounds just like something John Snyder would say. It does. You know, the defense lawyers over there arguing privilege, rules, privilege, privilege. And and Tinsley is is in a clear and concise manner pointing out you can't you, your malfeasance can't hide behind the, the rules of process. You can't just do bad things and be like, well, lawyers be lawyering. Lawyers be lawyering. <laughs> There's still there's still rules that govern how you're to conduct yourself in in how you prosecute your case and how you defend your case. So if you're if you are a lawyer and you're instructing an investigator to go, I don't care what you do, buy beer for these kids at USC so they'll talk, you can't go out and instruct somebody to break the law in your investigation and then expect to be protected by the law. I also thought it was interesting that Capelli, the PI, and also the PR firm both had no objections with turning over the information. So it's really only, I guess, Parker's and his team not wanting to turn over the the, the documents requested. Yeah, and and I think Donahue and Lawrence and Push, they're like, I'll I'll give you every single thing we ever done on every single communication because I don't think they did the things that that Tinsley wants you to believe they did based on his his aggressive argument in court. I think they're like, hey, we had a job. We did our job. Here's here's the job we did. And here's all the stuff that we did as a part of that job. But then why is Parker so against turning it over? Because if you if you wave, if you wave for one thing, you might wave for everything. So it is, again, standard defense lawyer approach of drag it out, make them fight for every single sheet of paper and beat them into submission of, you know, moving on and leaving your client alone. That's why they keep saying it was overly broad. It was overly broad. It was overly broad. Be more specific. That's they want. Yeah. Yes. They don't want to release it more than they have to. So what he's bringing up, why they should be released is this crime fraud exception. Uh, do you want to explain to our listeners what that is? Going back to what we were just saying, that you can't commit a crime or engage in fraud, fraudulent behavior under the auspices of your engaging, uh, uh, that you're just being a lawyer. You can't violate the law and lie and cheat and steal <laughs> and ex- expect to be covered under ex- you know, privilege exceptions. So then the defense actually says that the crime fraud exception requires prima facie and there, there hasn't been a crime committed and there's been no prima facie showing that there has been a crime committed. So what are your thoughts on that? That argument is a good argument to say you all have a burden to show that we're engaged in criminal activity. Right now, all you've shown is our clients went out to try to prove that your clients were dirtbags. Right. And and that's not a crime. 
I don't know if we mentioned it at the beginning. I think John mentioned it along the way that the order was found in favor of Tinsley. The judge said that they should produce the subpoena documents. But since then, just today, the defense has filed a motion for reconsideration and stay. So I just kind of wanted to point that out and didn't know if you had anything to add to that, John. Now, it's funny. Tinsley did a great job. And you can see why he won his argument and won, got, got the order he got. I did think that the, the, the motions that were filed today to reconsider and a motion for a revised order, they do make sense, which is we've asserted privilege. We want to be able to review this stuff so that we can then say what is privileged and what is not. And the court can determine that as opposed to just having to broadly hand everything over. I didn't have as big a problem with that. I think that was a well-reasoned argument that they made today. We're not just giving you all of our stuff. <laughs> we want to get you, you know, we're going to go through it. Cool, well, man. We need, we need to know, Court, you've said we've got to turn stuff over. We're not trying to be jerks here and hide anything, but we need to know what we have to turn over, what we can turn over for you to review give us a process to that hey john snyder thank you man appreciate it thank you guys very much you guys have a great day you You too bye (laughs) bye man a lot to uh digest there a lot of things that could come out of this or nothing could come out of this but maybe that video or maybe some of the work that they accomplish as pis and pr firm will I mean, shed some light on some other things. I got very excited that there could potentially be a lead into the deaths of Maggie and Paul. I mean, that seemed really pretty major to me. We really need that. You can reach out to us, Murdoch Podcast on Facebook or MurdochPodcast.com. And Dwayne, the tech guy, and me, we're doing another uh, podcast. I'm so excited for you guys. Uh, They have a new podcast about the Charlotte Football Club. Yep. And what's the name of it? Podcasting Charlotte FC. Yes. And I'm a huge soccer fan. and. A season ticket holder. This is their first season, so I'm super excited to listen. I think the first episode just dropped today. Yep, so check that out wherever you get your favorite pods. Share this one with your buddies and your enemies and give us a big five-star review. If you would, that'd be delightful. And we will talk soon. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. 
In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939 when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.